Hello and welcome to Queering Desi. I'm your host, Priya. As a South Asian queer non-binary person, I have learned a lot on my journey of self-acceptance and building community. So in each episode, I will bring you a slice of South Asian LGBTQ life with a guest who exemplifies what it means to be who you are and to live your truth. I like to create a safe and open discussion with our guests and listeners. So if the topics on this podcast are controversial, please know these opinions are of the guest and host, and we don't mean any offense. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Queering Desi listeners. This is your host, Priya. Before we get to the episode, I want to acknowledge the global public health crisis we are currently facing. Our communities are disproportionately experiencing the effects of this difficult time, and Queering Desi is trying to do its part. We will continue to bring you new episodes here on the podcast, but we've also begun collecting resources on our website. Please go to www.queeringdesi.com slash resources for more information or to contribute. In times like these, community support continues to be essential to our survival, and we want to reassure you that Queering Desi is here for you, as always. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media or by email. Together, we can get through this. And now, our new episode. Welcome to another new episode of Queering Daisy. This week, I'm very excited to have someone that I grew up knowing and have looked up to for a long time, the one and only Knuckle Dave Mahajan. Knuckle, thank you for being on Queering Daisy. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you, but for those that don't know you, can you do like a brief intro of yourself and your pronouns? <laughs> uh, a brief intro. Well, um, I, no, I'll, I'll keep it brief. I don't want to bore anybody with my resume, but... Um, <laughs> I'm a Bollywood choreographer based in Los Angeles, and I've been credited uh, for very nicely and and in a very humble way, if I can say that, bringing Bollywood to America from my showcases on So You Think You Can Dance, which I think I'm best known for, but other projects way before So You Think that started um, and way before the Bollywood phenomenon that hit America. Mm-hmm. I'm also credited for opening up the first Bollywood dance school in the USA, which we've been open for around, oh my gosh, 17 years. So it's been quite an amazing journey. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, let's start with So You Think You Can Dance. I mean, I think that that's kind of where most people might know you. I grew up in Southern California, so I knew you long before. Um, Can you talk a little (laughs) bit about like NDM dance? And I mean, I don't even know where to start with your journey because it's so large and vast. But but can you talk a little bit about So You Can Think You Can Dance? And then maybe we'll just go from there. Yeah, no, it's a great place to start, Priya. So So You Think You Can Dance happened to me in 2008, And we just got the news, actually, just yesterday that we are greenlit for season 17. Wonderful. Congrats. Season four is when I got invited. And it was all just um, the law of attraction, I think. I was watching the show. I was an avid watcher before they invited me. And I just threw this out in the universe thinking, how wonderful would it be if they were to add Bollywood? And I wasn't even thinking, you know, this is something that should be given to me. I'm entitled to this. I just wanted my culture to be represented in dance on national television. And lo and behold, a week later, I get a call from production to come in. They found me 
through the internet because I'd already established myself somewhat in within the Hollywood community and through just, you know, having yourself out there and being visible online is so important is how people find you. That's how they found me. And then they connected the dots with, you know, seeing that I've done stuff, called me in. I went in for an interview, very determined. It's just my nature and got the job on the spot. Wow. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. That is. Yeah. You know, they took a risk because they they didn't know how America would react to it. They didn't know how it would go. It had never been done before. Never on primetime television had we seen Indian dancing, let alone Bollywood dancing. And this is before Slumdog. Mm. It was a groundbreaking project. And I was really lucky and blessed and fortunate to be the person to bring that. And very lucky that I got the right contestants to represent it, who uh, ended up being the top favorite guy, the winner, and the top favorite girl, Joshua and Katie. And they performed to Dumtana. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing journey if you think about it. And to say, you know, season, I think you said 17 now, like, and to have started all those years ago, like, what do you think, like, looking back on the journey, like, obviously representation, you said, you mentioned Slumdog in the early part of that, but obviously stuff has gone, like, so far. Like, if you had to look back and kind of summarize, like, how has Bollywood representation, especially when it comes to dance, like, really changed in your lens and the way that you've kind of seen it from a Hollywood perspective? Yeah, it's changed a lot. You know, I feel as if there was, and, you know, some can argue that it still exists, this cliche of what Bollywood dancing is and what Bollywood is and what type of movement should be seen. If it's Bollywood dancing, there's a lot of stigma behind that. And, uh, you know, I've been very lucky of getting other projects, but having to veer away from what the director wants or what the production wants, which is what I, in my head, or what's pitched to me is a very cliche Bollywood, like namaste hands, Mm -hmm. neck side to side, mudras, like all of that. And Bollywood's really evolved in the past 17 years. I don't see it as just one genre. There's so many subcategories within Bollywood Similar to like hip hop, you can't just say there's one style of hip hop. There's Mm -hmm. so many. Bollywood is the same way. You have your traditional classical Bollywood. You have your contemporary Bollywood. You have your Bolly hop, like a hip hop Mm -hmm. Bollywood, jazz Bollywood. So there's so many. And then it depends on what you're drawn to, Mm -hmm. what the director wants. There's been a beautiful journey of where Bollywood is today. We see other reality shows also showcasing Bollywood, but in a different way. Uh, The World of Dance, last year's champions were this Bollywood hip-hop team. And it was very much, um, you know, the street Bollywood that was showcased and people loved it. And then you have the Bollywood that I do, which is more on the traditional side, mixing it up with some of the, you know, new street movement, a fusion. But what I give on So You Think You Can Dance is definitely uh, what the production wants from me. Um, and that's kind of been a little bit of a challenge. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's like, that's it's great that you mentioned that amalgamation, right, that happens, especially over time. Like, for example, we've had past guests on this show that have been like on India's Got Talent or Britain's Got Talent. And to see like other international shows pick up. And I think, so you think You Can Dance was like the first of this, right? But kind of since then. It was a first. Yeah. And so since you and your involvement in that, like you've seen other shows kind of pick that up, which is really cool. If I'm watching, like, America's Got Talent or I'm watching, like, some other show, like, and to see Bollywood, to see, like, South Asian representation in a new way Mm -hmm. has been kind of really cool and and evolving over the years as well. Absolutely. I mean, I think the more, the merrier. And I'm one of those choreographers. I mean, I'm, I'm 44 now. So I started my Bollywood journey in terms of being a name in the community when I was probably 16. Mm. So I've been at this for a long time and I'm not one to get threatened or feel insecure when I see the abundance of other people doing wonderful work. I think just lifts all of us up as a community and it just broadens the horizon of just the many facets that dance has, that Bollywood has, and in general, that India has. And that makes me proud. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm glad you mentioned your start. Like, I would love to know personally, just like how, you know, your relationship with dance began. Like, we all have like a memory from our childhood or something that some early kind of thing of an attachment or a feeling we had when we first. Do you have anything like that, a moment or a dance or a performance that you <laughs> that like, you know, that just like sparked that side for you? <laughs> That's a great question. I I think it should be more asked, like, was there never a moment for for me? I I cannot associate ever a time where I wasn't moving or dancing. Like Mm -hmm. Bollywood has been a part of my life before the term Bollywood even came. It was Mm -hmm. Hindi film dancing, Um, you know, being brought up in Southern California my entire life. I'm I'm an L.A. boy. Mm -hmm. I grew up with my parents being avid Bollywood film watchers and I think it was a way for them to stay connected to their culture. And I was drawn to like these musical numbers and I would copy Amitabh Bachchan and I would copy Rekha and this is what I grew up with. And I would secretly go in my room, I would borrow my mom's cassette player and her cassettes, this is how old I am. And I would reenact whatever I remembered watching And anything that I didn't remember, I would make it up, not knowing that I'm choreographing something. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was filling in every eight bar of that song. And my mom was actually very concerned and very worried because she would peek in. She'd watch me. She'd kind of open the door and just kind of sneak her her head in. And she would see me like doing all these movements, like, you know, dancing to Amitabh. But then she would see me do Rekha. And I would work it like I would work the girls more than anything because <laughs> I was so drawn to the women and how they moved because the men didn't do anything. Right. They just twirled the girls around or danced around the trees or <laughs> they were just being like that Bollywood macho guy with like the white pants and the green grass stains on their knees. Oh and but the girl like she had costume changes and... She was everything and anything. And I, I liked that. So I, that scared the crap out of her. You know, I think that, and then I, I would get scolded. I was, I was told you can't dance. Boys don't dance. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. What would the neighbors say? What would your friends say? And then my mother, unknowingly, I think she was so, so protective, 
but she was hindering me from my dream. Mm. But I persevered through her scolding and her light threats that, you know, if I homework, she's going to tell everyone that I dance. I mean, it was, I was dance and was connected to me as something that I shouldn't be doing yet innately I was gravitating towards it. And it wasn't until, and this was me at five mm-hmm. and it wasn't until probably 15 or 16 where my mom had asked me to do a favor for her friend that was throwing a cultural Diwali function or some event. And they had a spot that opened. They knew that I danced at the parties because I would be the first one on the last mm-hmm. one off. And then they had asked, you know, can you do something with a family friend of ours. And I said, okay, I'll take a shot at it. And I was a big Paula Abdul fan at the time. Just combined Paula Abdul choreography with Bollywood choreo from the movie and my own stuff that I came up and we performed it and everyone loved it. And that same night, my dad, my entire family, actually, they had a change of heart. They said, we didn't know how talented you were. Mm. Tomorrow, we are going to find you a dance school or, a, or you need to tell us where you want to learn dance and what you want to learn. And then I s- said, I want to learn Kathak. That's mm. what I want to learn. So my first professional dance class was at probably age 16 or 17. And that's when I started formally learning. Everything prior to that was just self-taught. Wow. That's a beautiful moment. I mean, that's rare, but that's such a wonderful start to that journey to kind of just say, whoa, like there's really something here, like as a parent to step out of that. I mean, that's so beautiful. Thank you. I think, I mean, my parent, we all laugh about it now, you know, and I I always tease them going, you know, if you gave me that thumbs up years ago, I could have been like a different dancer today or whatever. (laughs) And they all laugh about it. And I, and I know where their concern was. Because in our culture, in our society, we're not raised to grow up to be professional dancers. We're mm-hmm. raised, especially when we, you know, you know, our parents have moved here and immigrated here and their dreams for their kids are to become doctors and lawyers and engineers. Yeah. No one on their list that I'm going to come to America because I want my son to become a Bollywood choreographer. Yeah. That is not the plan. That's not the American dream. So I appreciate them being concerned and being worried. And I think a part of my mom, especially, you know, we're very close. I think she knew I was quote unquote different growing up. So I think that was another her thinking, you know, if he's dancing like a girl in his room all the time, what does that mean? Mm. And I need to protect that because the world is cruel. So when they saw what I did and they saw how much heart I had in it, how passionate I was, they knew nothing's going to stop me. And all they could do was realize that we need to nurture our child's dream and our child's art and talent and let him just spread his wings. And that's exactly what they did. That's beautiful. I have a few follow-up questions, but we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we will be right back with Knuckle just after the break. Rima, you're the bunny to my buri. What? That sounds like something that should be on a t-shirt. It is. From Bakwas Apparel. Have you ever wished you had a brand that embraced your multicultural identity, deconstructed stigmas, and helped you pursue your passions? Oh yeah, for sure. 
Well, Bookwas is a brand motivated by people who are doing what makes them happy, and they understand what it means to be who you are and what it takes to be true to yourself. Something we believe in deeply here at Queering Desi. Aww, PR. Yeah, they have that on a t-shirt too. Inspired by this generation of go-getters, innovators, disruptors, and dreamers, Bakwas wants you to join the movement and proudly wear your identity for the world to see. Check out their premium South Asian designs on their website, www.bakwasapparel.com, and use the code NDM15 for an exclusive 15% discount just for you, our listeners. Join the movement. Be Bakwas. And baby, you're the pani to my puri too. <laughs> okay, back to the show. All right, we're back on Queering Desi. We're talking to Knuckle. Um, before the break, Knuckle, you were talking about your parents kind of coming around to this idea. And it's a great point because it's something that I talk to a lot of dancers and choreographers that come on the show about because you, I grew up loving Bollywood as well. I grew up, you know, on, especially in L.A., like Saturday mornings watching like Showbiz India or like Namaste America mm-hmm. because it's the only time you're mm-hmm. going to see like Hindi film songs like on your TV. And we would record those and then watch them over and over like to have that limited influence, like growing up, I can't imagine for me, especially now in my journey as in my identity, like the kind of gender roles and gender stereotypes, especially propagated by Bollywood, but definitely culturally for our parents, as you mentioned, who were immigrants yeah. um, who might have just come, you know, you mentioned it a little bit. But can you talk a little bit about like that reckoning, right, of like they're part of their fear being right, like this femininity that is unfamiliar that comes with dance, especially if you're a young boy. Can you just talk a little bit more about that? That's a great question. And and I think that It was a battle for me. It was a struggle for me of suppressing something that I knew was in me and surfacing, but probably being told by so many different messages around me that what I'm feeling is wrong and going to be accepted and fighting that. And I remember when I started my Kathak journey, Kathak really changed my body and just the way that I moved. And because my life was training and getting the proper technique, which I really wanted. And although Kathak is really originated by men, which many people do not know, Mm. it does have this feminine quality to it which I can understand. And some Kathak dancers would probably disagree going, no, but there's a masculinity to Kathak as well. But I think to a non-trained dancer, you look at Kathak and it is very fluid and it is very graceful. And my body morphed into that. And I found that my Bollywood dancing was incorporating a lot of classical and it wasn't helping the stereotype. It wasn't helping the rumors. It wasn't helping the teasing and the behind the back bullying that I would get walking off a stage or just being me because I did become a lot more flamboyant during that time. And I would make such a conscious effort, unnatural really, and unauthentic of, for lack of better words, machoing up my choreography when I was dancing. Mm. And almost not even being me, like I would step out and I would become a different character, right? So, and I would make such an effort to embody what that stereotype hero is 
because I was choreographing, I was teaching, but I was also a performer. I was also a dancer. And, and the early part of my career was people associating me more as a performer than me as a choreographer, as a teacher. And I was very afraid of people judging me, obviously. I was very insecure about realizing that there may be this other side of me. I, I wasn't wanting to discover it or even... I was too afraid because I was, I grew up being bullied. Um, I grew up being, you know, called a fag all the time at school. And that actually went into my extended family. I had cousins that would make fun of me. Mm. So the only time I felt alive was when I would dance. And the only time I felt that I was the biggest, uh, you know, superstar in the world was in the privacy of my room. And that too, dancing to a Sri Devi or a Madhuri Dixit number. That was when I really, I felt was me at my best. Yet I could never show the world that I was too afraid. That was, it was tough. It was, it was tough. It's tough not being the authentic you. It's it's Mm -hmm. tough hiding. And it's because then you can never really show your true talent. And I did that for years. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds almost like, I mean, this this happens for so many of us in the community, right? Like of like not even knowing that, right? Like now we can look back and say, oh, I was being really unauthentic or I was really like closeting myself or but for me at least like I had a journey where I didn't know for like into my early 20s what was you know quote unquote Mm. different about me and so the closeting Mm -hmm. that happens is almost intrinsic it's not even like someone's telling you like don't come out or you can't be gay like for me I didn't know that I was queer and I Mm, didn't know anything about gender identity or or being non-binary any of these things it was just kind of like well Mm. I'm going to pretend anyway. And now I can look back and say, oh, I had to, you know, put on this front or, but to not be able to tangibly know what was wrong, like caused so much pain and so much turmoil because I didn't even have a word for why I felt that way. Yeah. 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 It's tough being Desi anyway, when you're living outside of India, I mean, it's tough and anywhere. Right. But mm-hmm. you know, when, when you're trying to like assimilate two cultures together and on top of that, you're gay mm-hmm. and on top you're chasing a career in the arts, uh, it can be a lot. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I mean, to kind of come off of that and and to see that and hear that, but also say, like, how did you confront that? Like, was that something that came to you because of Kathak or because of dance? And as you got more confident in that, like, what was that like for you to kind of confront some of those things and, and come into your own? It took me a long time, Bria, actually. I mean, I didn't officially come out to the world until this last decade, honestly, mm-hmm. I was afraid. I was afraid for many reasons. I opened up, aside from becoming this local LA dancer boy that danced at every freaking wedding alive, I started teaching at the same time. And then when I opened up the school and I had all these people that were following me from different locations that I would teach from, they were all now coming to Artesia mm-hmm. in Little India that we have here. That's where my studio is. I was afraid that if I were to come out, that people wouldn't come to me anymore. Mm-hmm. I was afraid that our society, our community wasn't ready for an out male Indian dance teacher, even though it doesn't sound like a stretch because when you look at Bollywood, they've depicted people like me very well in a very 
awful stereotypical way. But I think watching it in the movie, a character in the real life, I don't know. I just, I was, I was also guided by many people that you don't want to come out. It's not going to be good for your business. And my turning point was college. When I was in college and I was a late bloomer when it came to getting my degree, I was probably in my mid-20s when I finally got my degree. I was in a women's studies class and the topic was gay men who get married. And just that whole topic, I just had this outer body experience of seeing myself in these stories that I'm reading about men that are coming out in their 40s and 50s Mm. who are living double lives and their children that are now having to deal with this and the turmoil that these men had and their wives and their children. And I remember that that was actually going to be my plan. That was something that I had thought of because I was um, a few years prior to that being this guy for a very long time from a Muslim background. And for him, it was never a question to ever come out. Mm. And he had so selfishly made a plan that we would, this is way before Brokeback Mountain, mm. but we literally thought that we would do that. Mm. It would be like this Brokeback Mountain scenario of us getting married and our wives being friends, but us living this double life. And then no one gets hurt. No one gets disappointed, blah, blah, blah. And so this women's studies course opened my eyes. I had this epiphany that I cannot do this to anybody. I mean, that's selfish to do that, especially when you know. One thing is when you don't know, but when you know what your agenda is, it's it's just the wrong thing to do. And at that point, I I actually had a girlfriend because I I had girlfriends. I had at the time. I think for me it was kind of a cover up, mm. and I had immediately called her and I broke up with her. And then the next day I called all my friends that by telling them you know that um, so called bi stage that I was going through. Well, I'm not. I am just gay. Mm. They're like they're all like we knew you were. <laughs> You just kind of needed your time, you know? <laughs> I'm like, well, thanks for supporting me. You know, glad. And then I, I never looked back after that. I, then I, you know, came out slowly to more and more friends. And it wasn't until I met my husband now, which was 10 years ago, that I decided to come out to my family. And then when I came out to my family, they embraced me completely. I um, mean, it was like, a moment. It was like a Bollywood moment. My father actually wept and, you know, he told him that, you know, this journey has been difficult and there's time in my life where I didn't even want to live because I didn't think that there was any way out of this. I felt that being gay was a, was a curse. I've been a victim of uh, some really awful things, uh, not just verbal abuse, but also physical abuse. Mm. And he wept and he felt bad and he apologized and, you know, he held me and he said, you're the son that every father wants. Mm. That was just my, my moment. And it still gets me choked up talking about it, but it was so beautiful. And within a year after that, a year or two after that, I decided to get married and I 
told myself that I'm not hiding this at all. Mm. And the community embraced me. It was so surreal, Bria. I couldn't, I can't even tell you. God, that's so amazing. Also, just side note, when when I told my friends and they were all like, we knew, I mean, I was like, could you have left me like a post-it or like a, <laughs> because like, you know, like I, I had the privilege of having acceptance around me. I get that. I acknowledge that. But man, you guys, like just to, like, could you have told, like, I'm all like, you know, this is very serious and I need to approach you. And, yeah. and they're like, yeah. yeah, we knew. And I was like, they were like, what do you want us to say? I'm like, be surprised. Shouting from the rooftops with me. <laughs> That's so funny because I I told my like my sisters like I knew since you were five I'm like do I give you a like a box of chocolates like what do you want me to say you know then I have some friends that are like oh we we always knew and I'm like okay thank you they're like look at the way you walk I'm like well thanks so again thank you I really appreciate that you know but my my support system has been amazing I mean all my friends are like we love you because it's you we, we we don't care who you sleep with you know that's not, that's not why we like you and I'm like well thank you I appreciate that Right. I mean, growing up, like knowing you, knowing people who went to your school, like I never knew that about you and it didn't matter to me. And besides my own identity, my own journey, like I had no idea that you were even out or anything like that until I was in New York. Um, I moved here like seven years ago. So it was one of those things that I'm glad to hear because it, it felt like to me as part of that community that it wouldn't have mattered. So I'm really glad to hear that. But it's also like a great full moment journey, right? Because I think especially in the age of social media, like for you to be open about that and for that to just be one piece of your larger identity, especially in the community, especially in the industry you're in, like, that's a beautiful thing and that you others can, like, look to you and see that, you know, and, and see that it can, it's possible that the other, this is what the other side could look like, you know? Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's, uh, if I knew how it would turn out, I would have done it a long time ago mm. and I had no way of knowing. So when my husband and I decided that we wanted to get married, the Bollywood in me wanted to go crazy and do this huge ass like wedding <laughs> and and like invite the whole world and have two white horses. <laughs> and, you know, I wanted all of that. That was my dream. And, you know, we were we weren't sure. We honestly weren't sure how the reaction would be. We kind of really, really sh- uh, small and intimate. After one event, we did another and. Um, they were all small events, but we just got so much love that it just snowballed to our family going, let's do another party. Let's do another one. <laughs> Before we knew it, we had like five different intimate uh, functions because we just didn't know, you know, how the community would react or our family would react. We had no way of knowing. I had the most beautiful message that was sent to me by one of our parents that, uh, that we teach our child. And, you know, she came up to me and she said, by you sharing this, you're, you're making a difference for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I don't know you realize that. And I kind of didn't realize it because I really, I had no agenda at all. I mean, I fell in love and the way in love, I felt so liberated and I felt that I could conquer anything now. Mm. Um, with the love that I got. And then by coming out to my parents and then what their reaction was at that moment, I had nothing to fear and it didn't matter anymore. Yeah. And I have to be honest, Bria, is 
that once I came out and started being the true authentic me, my choreography changed. Everything changed. Life just got so much better. Wow, that's powerful, right? Like you don't realize like, especially as a dancer for you, but I think for me, like it was very much writing that like something releases in you. Like it's a very psychosomatic Mm -hmm. thing to be closeted or to keep something like this or keep a part of yourself hidden or or to not explore it, right? And even if you're not queer, like to explore yourself, to be self-aware, to have that emotionality to you, like it does change you. And and some of that is maturity in life and growth. But mm-hmm. like for queer folks and trans folks in our communities, like it's literally a psychosomatic thing, right? Something shifts in you. Absolutely. Something shifts in I always feel that what whatever you put out into the world, whatever you whatever energy you put out in the universe, it hears you, it listens, it feels it, and it comes back to you. And I and I'm a big believer in that. And I've just been I've been really lucky. I I have to say that because I I do have a lot of friends and past students who haven't had the kind of experience of coming out the way that I have. Right. Mm. And then I do know that the outcome can be very different for people in different parts of the world. So I do always have to just pinch myself going, I'm living my dream and I'm living me and I'm very lucky. And I always count my prayers. Yeah, absolutely. This seems like a good opportunity to ask you a question that I ask all our guests, which is if you could give some advice to your younger self that could be, you know, a decade ago or 20 years ago, like whenever, what would it be? I think the advice that I would give a younger me would be to give my parents a little bit more credit, giving them more of a benefit, a a doubt of just, of just being, of trusting them. And I think that's where I fell short because I didn't give enough, give them enough credit Mm. of who they are. And my dad came here in the 60s and he went to Berkeley, for God's sake, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't think that he would understand. And that was so foolish of me. And, you know, even though my mom um, has been a homemaker most of her life, she's so intelligent in so many ways and so and so worldly. And I just thought that they were fobby Indians mm-hmm. that wouldn't understand this and would put me on medication, mm-hmm. you know, and I just wish that I had come out to them way earlier so I could have had that support when I needed to, especially after coming home after a bad day at school being bullied. I wish I, you know, maybe had that. I didn't really have anyone to go to. And um, I think having that support, I would have told myself to go to them sooner. Mm. Or I wish I had someone that I felt that I can trust And I always tell this to my students and not just on the topic of, you know, of what we're talking about, but just any, I always want them to feel that they can come to me in confidence and that they can trust me. And that if there's something that they don't feel comfortable telling their parents that they can tell me and as their dance dad, I can guide them to the best that I can. I think everyone needs that. And I wish that I had that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's so rare, right? And I think that's something like the silver lining of the clouds that we go through in this community, if we're identified this way, is is very much that, right? Like learning what it's like to not have somebody and then being able to maybe embody the thing that we wish we had when we were younger. So that's mm-hmm. beautiful. Like that's that's so much of what this podcast is about, right? And this platform is about is because I didn't have people's stories. You know, we had rumors and theories and we wished that Karen Johar would come out, you know, but there was no like there was... I- I know. Oh my gosh, you read my mind. Yeah. <laughs> like we never had anyone, right? I, especially as Bollywood lovers. Like you would think that we would have had a role model, but I thought I was the only one that felt that way. <laughs> I'm so glad that you said that. I've been saying that for years. Going, Karan Johar, please come out so we have a role model. Yeah. We need we need our version of our Ellen. We don't have one, yeah. you know. Right, and I think like. In his place, like, I get it. Like, just to go on that tangent for a second, like, I I do think, like, it's not on him to be that if he doesn't want to be, but he had the place and the power to be. And I I definitely, like, for me personally, like, it comes from experience. Like, my dad, when I came out and I sat him down and had this really long conversation with him, which he was so gracious about and just asked a bunch of questions about, Mm -hmm. part of it was, like— Wait, do we like do we know anyone like because I feel for 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 South Asian <laughs> communities it's kind of like hey like you know be a doctor like so and so's son or be a you know and so there's this comparison yeah. that happens and and this kind of like are we ahead of the pack are we part of the pack like I don't know what's happening and it would have been nice to say like yeah dad like there are queer South Asians like here are people that Correct. you know or like here like and they have like completely normal functioning lives and they're doing great and Correct. they can have success you know. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. You nailed it on the head and that's missing. But I really like I feel now that there's a shift and it's changing because we we do finally have a lot of South Asian queer people out there that are are being themselves. And I think that's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's a great part and parcel of, like, the times and, and everything that has changed slowly in this country. I know there are places where it's still not okay, and there are places in this country mm-hmm. where it's still not okay. But that social media and that platform and hopefully podcasts like this, and there are many others now, like, chip away at that a little. And it's it's slow, but it's steady. And I think, like you said, just something that we wish we had when we were, we were in that phase, you know? Absolutely. I think he's afraid to come out because of uh, what can happen to him in India. Mm. I think that's why he chooses not to. That's what he said, like, when he wrote his book that was part of, he's like, I can't say the three words because it's illegal. And Mm -hmm. it's like, I like, it's like, I get it, but like. eh. It's changed. I mean, that, that law was, as you know, it was. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I do think that's a little bit of a cop out just because there have been like queer movements in India for a lot longer than section 377 was around. So like. I mean, maybe the people in his life, you know, have been attuned to it for a long time and he doesn't have to publicly come out and that's fine. Like, but But he would be such a great role model in the sense of being one of the most powerful filmmakers, influencers in India. Right. I have mixed feelings about this just because of a like things like Dostana. Right. Like he has said since that he, you know, regrets some of the things he had the platform to have made the difference. Right. And he kind of even though he physically couldn't come out, like I feel like he as a filmmaker could have been more responsible. But I also think like now in this day and age, for example, he has a new Netflix show. I don't know if you know about this. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I've watched the first two episodes. Okay. And something that really struck me was in the first part, it's like a, basically it's a, for folks that don't know, it's like a dating kind of show. And he basically mm-hmm. takes, 
he has like a mixer or like a mingling in the first part of the episode and the first episode Mm -hmm. and he picks like six people and then in each subsequent episode one person he'll take them on this quote-unquote journey so he'll do like a Mm. mental makeover which is like a pseudotherapy session and then he'll do Mm. like a mock blind date and then he'll do like a physical makeover and then sends Mm. them on two blind dates And so Mm. he meets in this mixer in the first episode, like, a couple of queer folks. So one, I think, identifies as female and one identifies as male. They both come out to him, like, in this conversation. He, like, walks up to them and he's like, oh, you two would make a good couple. And they're like, "Uh, we're both queer. And so so then it was, like, this weird, like, generational thing where I I think it's part of the privilege and the class that he's a part of that we have to acknowledge because he was very much, like, What's it like? Like it was like a weird. It was almost like when Ellen did the the her latest stand up, relatable, and it was literally all about yeah. how she wasn't relatable anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, it felt yes. like that because it was like, oh, Garen Johar has no idea what it means to be queer and like an average or like a non high class status way. Correct. And it was this weird, like, he didn't know the language, and he was like, oh, it must be hard, like, as a woman to be coming out versus, like, as a man. And he said these, like, I don't know, he said these weird things. It was just very strange. I'm like, do you just not have queer people around you? Like, I don't. And oh, so, my gosh. Yeah, so it just feels like I have a soft spot for him, and I loved a lot of his movies growing up, so I don't think I could ever be like, he sucks. <laughs> but I do think, yeah. like— if you want to be that kind of role model, even if you can't publicly come out, like, do the work, right? Like, there are people around you sure. and learn the language and learn the, you know. So I have feelings about about him. I could go on forever, but. I can go on and on, too. Yeah, yeah no. I, and I and I think just like you, and I feel as if we're so much alike, Rhea, um, <laughs> I have mixed feelings about him, too, you know, and uh, for some of the stuff that, you know, he's done and like, you know. I never liked those Dana. I was cringing mm-hmm. watching it. Personally, I feel that if you have if you have a platform that you've been given, then you have a responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I always feel that when you know celebrities are like, well, we are entitled of our private life, blah, 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 this and that, is so hypocritical because they're posting everything about their life, you know, on social or yeah. whatever they're doing, right? They feed from this. They need it. They need to be in the news. But then there are certain things that they can actually be more vocal about and and be a be a better role model. And I think Karan Johar is one of them. Like, and, and there's so many closeted Bollywood actors out there, right? There's so many, and oh, yeah. and and being that you know obviously knows a lot of people. And I'm never out anybody, but there's it's this hidden world. And you'd be surprised of how many Bollywood actors of all time, so many, how many of them are living double lives. You'd be, you would shit in your pants. Yeah, no, it's true. And I mean, that that makes me kind of sad, right? Like, I think as we can talk about things changing and we talk about Bollywood and we talk about dance in that way and like the evolution of that, like, I think, first of all, I have to acknowledge that I won't ever know what it's like to live in India with this identity, right? But like, Correct. from folks that I follow and folks that I talk to and know over there, I know that a lot of people have been doing the work. I know that the system and the place is changing and, I, and in some ways is regressing, but in some ways is moving forward it's not an onus on anybody to like be like you have to come out and again maybe people Mm -hmm. around them know but I think like yeah what you're saying right the responsibility right like I think that's why someone like Priyanka Chopra rubs people the wrong way sometimes
sometimes because you oh, have yeah. like you have a platform. Like be responsible about what you talk about and how you talk about Correct. it. Correct. And you can't just say like, oh, I never like signed up for this. And it's like you're a celebrity now. <laughs> you know, like Correct. you did you did sign up for it. And you did. Yeah. And we would hold any of us to those standards, right? We would even just among Absolutely. friends. Like so I think it's um it's an edgy subject and I know everyone has differing opinions on it, but I, I definitely think in terms of Bollywood, like we're on the cusp of like a change, right? Like indie films that have been portraying LGBTQ love stories or stories at all have been out forever. But in the last couple of years, since 377 was overturned, you've seen mm-hmm. mainstream Bollywood movies like the one that's coming out this weekend. Correct. So there's a hope for it. But then there's also like, well, straight actors are playing those characters or like. Correct. So <laughs> where does representation end? Where does it, you know, what's the growth? It's kind of a, it's a much larger conversation. But I, I, yeah, it's. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Kind of going off of that, I want to talk about what's next for you. Like, what are you working on and what can you kind of give us a glimpse into? Oh, well, some really great, exciting stuff I've had the privilege and honor of working on. So there is a new series on the Disney Junior channel called Mira Royal Detective. And it has an all South Asian cast doing all the voiceovers. And they are also incorporating a lot of dancing in it. And I've had the honor of choreographing for the show. And season one is going to be released in March. And we've just been given the green light for season two. And um, so so please look out for that on Disney Junior. It's called Mira Royal Detective. Oh, my God. That sounds amazing. Some of this cast, like, is mind-boggling to me. You've got Frida Pinto. You've got Jamila Jamil. You've got, I mean, you just have have Cal Penn. You have, like, it's just like the who's who of South Asian. Like, if we never thought there were South Asian representation in Hollywood, like, this really brings it all together. And you're like, oh, okay, there's there's some people. (laughs) Absolutely. And they've done such a brilliant job. And, you know, I've been a part of the project since 2018. Because animation takes a long time, as you know. Mm-hmm. They've been so diligent and so detailed and so authentic in, in just getting the right players and working with a team in India, actually, mm-hmm. that is very much involved with getting all the nuances, all the details, the stories. I've never been a part of a job that's been so authentic to my culture. Mm-hmm. I've never experienced it before. So it's a gift and it's the first of its kind. It's never been done before. Mm. And it just reminds us that the world is changing. And whenever I see anything that is displaying being more inclusive, I'm going to be the first one to stand up and applaud for that. That's amazing. I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad to hear such wonderful things about it because it's always one of those things where you're like nervous and you're like, I don't know if they'll get it right. And I don't, but to hear that is is so exciting. And I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I really, really wish that, that people just, you know, when, when you watch it, give it, don't judge immediately based on whatever you're seeing, like the teasers or like, you know, don't think that this is another cliche Indian moment. It's not. It is absolutely so. So well done. I think that not only children are going to watch it, but I think all ages are going to really enjoy it. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm going to watch it. I don't know how I'm going to watch Disney Junior, but I'm going to I'm going to find a way to access it and I will watch it. Yes. Great. <laughs> so just to wrap up, I just wanted to play a couple of quick games with you. The first is like a rapid fire kind of thing. I have in the past been slow because then we get into tangents as can happen but okay. but uh so a pseudo rapid fire I'll go, I'll say um with just do I get a hamper <laughs> 
Um, yeah, you got the queerest hamper around. Uh, <laughs> I won't even ask you what's in it then. I think we all know. I think we all know. <laughs> oh, that pretty is so funny. Oh, my Lord. Okay. I okay, so it. just quick answers if you want to tell more about it. That's totally fine, too. But I'll start with who inspires you? Who inspired me? Yeah, inspires you, inspired you currently, always someone you look up to, multiple people you look up to. <laughs> I would say Madhuri Dixit. Mm. She inspired. Okay, that goes into our, our great second one, which is a favorite dancer or actress or both. Yeah, Madhuri, Madhuri, Madhuri. Okay. Favorite movie? Dave Das. Mm. And go-to song? My go-to song. It depends where I am. So if I'm at the gym, it's Britney Spears' Work Bitch. Mm, and yes, yes. if I am, you know, if I'm wanting to dance um, just for fun, probably anything like uh, from the 80s. I love the 80s. Ooh, okay. Like the, like the pseudo disco era? Is that the right? Um, no, I maybe like late 80s. Late like, 80s you know, if... You know, late Sri Devi, late Madhuri, late Janet, late Paula. Like, that's my go-to. Fair enough, fair enough. And a choice between a few songs here. Uh, Kadrare or Choli Kipiche? Choli Kipiche, no doubt. Okay, classic. Uh, And Dholi Taro Dolbaje or Nagara Sang Dolbaje? Oh, good one. (laughs) Wow, that's hard. I'm going to go with Dolly Tarot Dolbaje. Okay, good choice. Go choice. Vintage, I like. Um, your your favorite Hollywood collab or a star you've worked with, a show you've been on? Well, I'm going to say Mira, Royal Detective right now. Ooh, I like this. Okay. And in terms of songs, again, like favorite remake? I know there's like Saki Saki and there's all these Punjabi movies or songs that are coming out there's too. so many. Um, but any ones that kind of stick out to you, especially in your choreo? Yeah, so I think right now my favorite remake, even though it's kind of a year old now, is Ankh Mare. Mm. I really, that one is just so fun. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, that's great. And your dream vacation? So I actually did my dream vacation um, j- just last summer. I went to Africa f- for three weeks with my husband and went to five different countries so that I made my dream vacation happen. Oh my God, that's beautiful. I love that. And lastly, your dream collaboration. Like who you would love to work with that you haven't yet still? Oh, my dream collab, and I hope this happens someday, um, would be working with with Madhuri. That would just that would just be amazing. I think that she she tells the story of movement, not just through her moving. <laughs> she does it through we all know, with the billion faces that she can make. I think that Bollywood today is missing that component of feeling music and showing Abhinaya, as we call it, or Bhao, as we call it, or expressions. It just seems so mechanical and plastic. And she just does it so authentically. She feels music. And that's something that we are really big about at my studio is to uh, make sure you're not just dancing with your body, but your face is dancing too. Mm. I love that. I want to ask like a quick, uh, like a variation of Kiss, Mary Kill, like a Kiss, Mary Ghost maybe, because we want to be nice to those people. If you had to pick between Madhuri, Sri Devi, or Deepika. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you're asking me this. <laughs> we took out Kill, okay? <laughs> Oh my gosh, because one has passed away already. Oh no. Okay, now we can't do this question. <laughs> I'm like, wait, 
wait, did she just say Street Navy in this line? Oh, uh, man. Okay, then don't answer this question. I She is eternally alive in my soul. I would never be like, okay, oh, uh, like yeah. Oh, no. Now we can't do this. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> I can try some. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we, we can move on. Okay. Um, The last segment that I do is, (laughs) once we get over this, reality versus Instagram, which is a new thing I've started this season because I feel like a lot of our guests are really great at social media and I'm really, really not. So this is partially like an investigative thing, but um, it's just a few questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then this will be great because it's just a few questions about like your social media habits slash likes. Oh, gosh. So my first question is, how many takes does it take for you to get a perfect selfie? Oh, my gosh. So I'm not even I'm not a selfie person. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So I'll I really do. them. maybe like two or three. I don't don't really care. Okay. well, that's good. Okay, that's good. I'm not a selfie person either. So I get it. Um, What do you have a go to filter? And if so, which one? Oh, my gosh. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I do. I, I mean, I usually go to like the bright because usually when people take a picture of me or send it to me or if I take it, I'm like eyes and teeth and I have nothing wrong with being like the skin color that I am, mm-hmm. which is a whole different topic. <laughs> but I still want to be able to let people see that I'm more than just eyeballs and teeth. So I usually have to brighten myself up a little bit. Oh, <laughs> okay, that works. And do you have a favorite hashtag, either one that you use or one that you follow? Yeah, so I think my favorite hashtag is Bollywood Choreographer. Ooh, I like that. Okay, and how many Instagram stories, if you're a story person, is too many? Because sometimes I find that people post like five or six, and by like the third one, I will move on. Is there like, do you have a limit? Really? Like in one day, they'll they'll do five or six? Yeah, or more than that. I'm being generous. (laughs) Wow. Do these people not work? I mean, that's my question. No, I think of like, I think of my most common example is like literally shows, like people go to concerts and be like, here are like 20 stories from the concert. And I'm like, I can't hear anything or see anything. And this is the worst. And I'll like swipe. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so that doesn't happen to you, which is great. Maybe I should follow who you follow. <laughs> well, the thing is that I'm like, I'm so horrible with social media because I think that I am probably a boring person to follow because I don't do stories much. And mm-hmm. I, and I know that that is something that I should be better at doing, but I just, I hate getting caught up with that whole world of, of how many people are li- are, are yes. following me, yeah. liking my, my pictures. And I'm like, I'm not, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, I think it's a generational thing for me. Yeah. I think it is for me too. Like I, I'm in my early thirties, but I just feel very, like, not only am I like insanely busy all day, but I just feel like the amount of time it would take me to craft and think of something and like caption it. And it was like, I could do 20 other things probably. Yeah. I'm just not good at it. And like, and whenever I do like a post or a story, I'm always asking like my much younger team, like, does this sound right? Is this what this is cool? And they're like, no, you can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. No one does it anymore. I'm like, no one does it anymore. Like, but we just did it three months ago. They're like, yeah, it's changed now. And I'm like, I can't, I can't keep up with this. This is ridiculous. So I would say what's too many. I I say more than two stories a day is like, (laughs) you need to find something to do. Like go clean the beat. I love this. This is what we're going to pull for social media. Right? (laughs) Okay. Last two questions. One is like account to follow. Like, would you follow dogs, memes, or babies or none of the above? 
Okay, I am guilty. I do follow memes. I think they're funny. Yeah, me too. There's nothing wrong with that. No shame in the game. Yeah, um, yeah. It definitely brightens up my day. Yeah. And do you have like a favorite account or person that you follow? Ooh, do I have a favorite? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. But I really don't care. <laughs> um, so I think the only person, I mean, this is biased because, uh, and I think I, I mentioned this. So I grew up, in love and obsessed at some level with Paula Abdul. Mm. And we, over time, I got to work with her and we became friends. Mm. But a little part of me is still like this fanboy, mm. even though we're friends and we, you know, we talk every now and then. But I do get excited whenever I see her <laughs> post because that part of me is still singing straight up and forever your girl. Oh, I love that. There's always going to be that admiration. So I kind of like that. So we're at the end of our questions. You did great, and you win all the hampers. Um, Yay! <laughs> this is also a great time for you to plug, like, your social media and how people can follow you and DM, find out more about you, anything you want to plug. Yeah, and thank you for that. So um, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Instagram, and my handle on Twitter and Instagram is my name, N-A-K-U-L-D-E-V, M-A-H-A-J-A-N. It's Nakul Dave Mahajan. And um, I'm also on Facebook. And if you want, we also have a Instagram account for our Bollywood Dance School. It's NDM Dance. So please find us um, on Instagram. Thank you so much, Knuckle. This has been such a delight and almost like a dream to talk to you. And I know now that when I get back to L.A. to visit my parents, uh, we've got to hang out. No, I would. Can you please make sure that happens? Because yeah. I really want that hamper and all the toys inside of it. <laughs> See, you knew what was in it. I didn't have to say anything. <laughs> I, I I probably can imagine, as you said, and I think I think that that'll be fun to, to go through it. You know, <laughs> then my parents will be like, "Where are you going?" Well, I've got to meet Knuckle. I have some toys for him. You <laughs> have some toys for me, exactly. No, I would I would be delighted, and I really hope that. We can make that happen because you what you're doing is absolutely amazing and you are really opening eyes uh, for people and making a difference. And we really need more people like you in our world. So thank you so much. Thank you. I feel the same about you. So um, the, the love goes all around. And thank you for doing what you do. And thank you for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Queering Daisy. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes to help us spread the word and to make sure you get the latest episodes right to your phone. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Queering Daisy. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please feel free to reach us on social media or drop us an email at queeringdaisy at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.